of the Bible because we want to be able to understand it easily. And there's this movement of dropping a lot of things that God has ordained in hope that we get more people. Now, on the outside, that sounds like a doesn't sound like a terrible idea. But unfortunately, the only way for the only eventual end for compromise is normally down. You never see Jesus never compromised and saw people saved. Now, Jesus was around sinners, but Jesus never partook in their sin. We have to understand that. Churches and Christians today have opted out of this idea of being a witness, either because they're uncomfortable and scared, or they've allowed worry to chain them down from doing what someone once did to them. All of us have been an example of someone witnessing to us. If you've been saved, someone at one point witnessed to you, and we are all here because of that. A lot of churches have decided that this confrontational evangelism is outdated and obsolete. Now, if you've noticed, how many guys have ever done any kind of organized soul winning? Okay, how many guys have no idea what organized soul winning is? Raise your hand. Okay, that's fun. When I was in Lancaster, my job was the outreach intern. My job was in charge of all the outreach for the church. That means I was in charge of organizing two days a week where the church family would go out and they would knock on doors and hand out tracts to the neighborhood. Now, we don't do that as a church. Nothing wrong with it. I mean, it could be effective, but here's why we don't. Because how many of you would feel comfortable if I knocked on your door at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning? Also, we have a very agricultural area, and it's difficult to touch, a, touch everyone's house. I, when I first year from Bible college, I came home, and I told Dad, I said, I am going to knock on every door, because that's what I did at, at college. I'm going to knock on every door in Fort Morgan. So I mapped it out. I went to the city, got one of their maps, and I highlighted streets that I had done. And I want you to know that now I don't know the fruit of it on this side of heaven. But there wasn't a single person who said, what must I do to be saved when I knocked on their door? It was kind of disheartening. But we don't do an organized soul winning per se, but we have a lot of outreach opportunities here at our church. We use wrestling. We use our quam ministry. We use uh, funerals. I don't know if you noticed, but pastor preaches the gospel at every funeral he does because that's our role. Christians today are not taking part of taking being a part of being a witness for Jesus. According to a 2016 survey, 73% of Americans claim to be Christians. That's pretty awesome. 73% claim to be Christians. However, after applying scriptural tests to those claims, only about 31% actually qualify as practicing Christians. So let's look at this idea of being a witness. Let's look at, number one, the command to be a witness. The command to be a witness. Take your Bible to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, Pastor West touched on this a couple weeks ago, but Matthew 28 and verse 18, and it says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You see, we have a command here given from God. We've called this the Great Commission. We're going to look at all the different times it's given in the Bible. But we have a command as well as a promise here that God has a role for us from the moment of our salvation. At this point, we believe that the church was started when Jesus Christ called the disciples out. 
church is merely a word that means a called out assembly of believers. So applying that definition means the disciples were probably the first church. And here God, Jesus commissions them before he goes and says, hey, go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. That is our role as a church, to go and to teach. Mark 16, 15 gives the same commission. Mark 16, verse 15 through 18. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What we see here is Jesus Christ commissioning the church again, but he's giving them a little bit more this time. And he's telling them about the sign gifts that they were going to give as be given as a church but i want to look at what he says here he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved this is a proof text for a lot of people that believe salvation baptism is required for salvation but it's not baptism isn't necessary for salvation but it's the logical next step to make public what was done in private or internally we cannot dictate biblical doctrine this is what Wes said. We, can't, we should not dictate biblical doctrine based on one verse. And that's what a lot of people do. Look at, here's some proof texts to show you that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Luke 23, 43. The thief on the cross was not baptized, yet Jesus Christ said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Acts 10, 44. The Gentiles in Caesarea were baptized after they were saved. Jesus himself in John 4, verse 1 and through 2, Jesus himself did not baptize, which seems like a strange omission if baptism were necessary for salvation if the person coming to save didn't do it. Paul thanked God that he baptized very few of the Corinthians, an impossible thanksgiving if baptism were essential for salvation in 1 Corinthians 1. Approximately 150 passages in the New Testament state that salvation is by faith alone. No verse or few verses could contradict that overwhelming testimony. Baptism is connected with the death and burial in the New Testament and with our spiritual birth. What then does verse 16 mean? Well, we believe it mentions baptism as the expected outward expression of belief. That's what we believe as a church. The logical next step after salvation is to make that known. But there are a lot of Christians on this side of heaven that will never make that known. Maybe because they're ashamed, maybe they're afraid of what their family might say. Maybe they're nervous about the public side of things. But regardless, baptism is the logical next step. And God commissioned the church to go. If you want to know the other passages, we won't go through them real quick. But Luke 24, 44 through 49 is the Great Commission. And then Acts 1, verse 6 through 8. Acts 1, verse 6 through 8 says this, When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They thought Jesus Christ had come to be the conqueror, to be the new king, to restore Israel to its glory. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. With our current predicament in Israel, that would be my mindset. 
It is not for us to know the times or the seasons which God hath put in his own power. But he gives them a reason. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So there's a logical thing. Stop worrying about what eventually will happen because God will take care of that. Worry about what you're supposed to do right now. So we see the case for being a witness. We see these commands given by Jesus Christ. But what's the content of being a witness? This is where we want to get practical. What is the gospel is basically that. The word gospel means good news. And it occurs 93 times in the New Testament. In the Greek, the word is euangelion, which, from which we get our English word evangelist or evangelism or evangelical. The gospel is the good news concerning Christ and the way of salvation. So how do we share it? What is, what is the practical way of doing this? Well, tonight I, I have eight steps. This is now here's here's something you have to understand. If I have someone come up to me and say, hey, I'd like to know what it means to be saved. My method might not be the same as pastor's method or Wendy's method or Dustin's method. But our methods all point to the same thing. So this is a method that I have used and I find it to be useful. So what we're going to have here is eight steps. With that, we're going to give you a verse. With that, there's a key word or a key phrase to, or a key statement to kind of get across. And then I have a transition statement. Now, these are not mine. A man far wiser and better at this than I am came up with a lot of this, but I have utilized this in my own life. And those transition statements keep the conversation flowing. When I was working at Lancaster, I worked, some of you guys met Jerry Furso at Couples Retreat a couple years ago. Um, Brother Furso is probably the best, what we would call a soul winner that I know. I've seen him go out and knock neighborhoods. I've seen him come back with four or five people saved, with these people committed to coming to church this next Sunday. The guy's incredible at what he does because it's what God has told him to do. That's his entire commitment. So what I have is an eight-step process. So we're going to go through this. I gave them to you so you can modify this your way. You can work it however you want to. But the first step is the promise. Try to start out positive. That's an important thing. It's really hard to start off negative and get the conversation back. But start off with the promise. In that verse, 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. That key word is know. People have to recognize that they can know. They don't have to doubt. They don't have to question. They don't have to worry. They can know for a fact that there is a place called heaven and they can have a home there. So how do you transition? Well, this is how you know you're going to heaven. So if I'm sitting down with someone, I would have told them, hey, you can know you're, you have a home in heaven. You can know that you can have this promise of God and this is how you get to know. And that's the second step. It's the problem. As it is written, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Key words there are none and all. There is no one righteous. That means it doesn't matter how good you are. It, that's where you need to go with this. 
It doesn't matter the works you've done or the, or the things you've done as a child or the things your parents had done to you as a child. No one is righteous and all have come short of the glory of God. And that transition statement is this is what happens because of sin. So we see that promise. You can know. We see the problem. All have sinned. You transition into the penalty. This is where it gets kind of, this is the next two steps. The next two ones are not too encouraging, but they're necessary. The modern church has a bad habit of getting rid of the negative aspect of Christianity and only promoting the positive. Jesus was never that way. You know, the Bible has a, I don't remember the exact, exact number, but the hell is mentioned a large percentage more in the Bible than heaven is. You know why? Because Jesus wants to make sure no one goes there. That's his goal. So we see the promise. We see the problem. It transitions. This is what happens because of sin to the penalty. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We also say for the wages of sin is death. If you look at that word death or wages, I, I like the word wages. It's applicable in modern society today. Hey, this is what you've earned because of this. This is such a difficult thing to get through to people because there's always that, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I could be a lot worse. Define sin when you do this. Here's how I define sin. I do this with the kids, and I love it because it works. Here's what sin is. Sin is anything we think, do, or say that is contrary to what the Bible says. Anything we think, do, or say that it goes against what the Bible says. That'll give you a good filter on what sin is. And that transition statement, not only is there a physical death, and I don't want to get bogged down here, but the penalty for the penalty for our sin is death. Not only is there a physical death, that's that separation. The Bible also reveal, reveals another death, which transitions to the fourth step, the punishment. Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers, sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That key word is that second death. You have to tell people that, hey, when you take your last breath on this earth, that's not the end. You're going to spend eternity somewhere, and you define death as separation. That's how we like to define death. And you need to be serious. It has that key thought. You need to be serious and sober when you talk about hell. This is something that a lot of modern-day comedians have made a joke of. And now our world is like, well, hell's not a big deal. How many guys have ever heard, well, I'm, I've heard someone say, I'm going to go to hell because that's where all the fun people are going to be. Someone said that one time. Hell is not a place of partying or whatever they want to think it is. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place of punishment that was not created for human beings. That's important. Hell was created as a punishment for Satan, but when Satan lied and convinced Adam and Eve to sin, the only logical place for them to go is there. So that's that second death. So we see there's sin, death, and that eternal separation from God. But now let's look at some goodness. So you just brought that person way down. <laughs> Frankly, at this point in the conversation, they're, if they're listening, they're not feeling too good about themselves. You brought them way down, but now you bring them up to the fifth step, the provision. The provision. Don't let the P words kind of get in the way. 
It's alliterated. This isn't my outline, like I said, but the provision. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Those key words are love and justified. We can define love pretty easy, easy, but justified, a simple definition for you is it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what God does when he justifies us. He makes it just as if I'd never sinned. And you have to emphasize that God loves you. God provided a way for you. God demonstrates his love through Christ. And so what do we have to do, this transition then, what do we have to do to receive God's forgiveness? Well, it gets to the present or the gift. Again, go back to that Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That key word is that gift. This is often where I would, I would bring something along. If I have a child and I know I'm going to be doing this, I've done this in, in Easter lessons or whatnot, I have a present ready. That doesn't mean I have to walk around with a present all the time. But I'll have a present ready. And I'll tell the kids, like, I'm going to give this gift to you. Do you have to do anything? Did you have to do anything for that present? No, right? If I, if I give it to the kid, did they do anything for that present? No. They didn't earn it. They didn't, they didn't bribe me for it. They didn't conduct themselves a certain way for it. No, I just gave them that gift. Well, it's the same way with us, with God is God has freely given us a gift. All we have to do is receive it. And that's that next transition. How do I, how do we, how do you personally receive this gift? Leads to the seventh step, the pronouncement. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have that word, that key word of confess. They have to get it. They have to go to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I'm, I, I know I'm, I'm guilty. I know I deserve death. But God, I'm asking you to come into my heart and save me from my sin. Now, I used heart, which is a no-no in some areas. Because heart can confuse people. With adults, it's not too bad. But with kids, we try to veer off using the word heart because they don't fully understand it, especially if you get a literal kid. But saying this, it's God, I'm asking you to save me from my sins and give me a home in heaven. That's a simple way of doing it. That key word is confess. They have to understand that they have to confess. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And it transitions. This is all you have to do. And then there's that promise. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That key word call, that's important. They've got to call on God. That transition statement, would you like to pray and accept Jesus as your Savior? Now, I have some, some suggested steps for leading a person to Christ down there. Review the steps. Someday, sometimes you might, and here's the sad part. You might give these steps to someone. You might actually walk through this with someone, and they say, no, I'm good. Guess what? That's fine. <laughs> Keep going at it. Review those steps with them. Explain again that the promise is for them to claim. It's for that person, for him to claim. Ask if there would be anything that would hinder him from accepting God's gift of salvation. And then lead him in a prayer to accept Jesus Christ. 
Now, some of those stop, you might stop at some of those steps and you might be stopped there for a while. I know I have. I've, I've gone through this with someone before and they said, well, I don't, I don't think I have to do that right now. You know, in that kind of situation, I don't care. You're, <laughs> you're not going to push someone into heaven, unfortunately. So don't, don't be pushy about it. Be respectful of their space. Be respectful of their time. But review those steps again what they need to. Explain again that, that that's a promise for them to claim. It's a free gift. Ask if there would be anything that would hinder him. A lot of times they're going to come up with stuff, well, I've done this. Or I was baptized as a kid. What does that mean? You might have to address something like that. With that, you need to study more. Ask questions. If you have to tell a person, hey, I don't know the answer to your question yet, but let me find out for you. That is not a bad thing to do. (laughs) It's better to wait and know it than to go into it and completely mess it up. So don't be afraid to say, hey, I don't know the answer to your question yet, but I will find the answer. So we see the, we see the command, the witness, we see the content. And lastly, I just want to give you a few practical tips of what do you do now? Well, you study and know what it means to be saved and how to lead someone to Christ. Never stop, stop trying to better yourself as the witness. Here's the thing. We're commanded to be witnesses. What does a witness do? All a witness does is proclaim truth. That's what a witness is supposed to do. We're commanded to be a witness in the Bible. So work on being a better witness. Now you might say, well, I'm not an outgoing person. I understand it. God's command does not keep out certain personalities. Work at what you're good at. Work work your personality into it. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. If we put blinders on as Christians, we can go through our entire life missing the opportunities that God has given us. God has given us an opportunity with this Bring a Friend Sunday in these. This is such a great opening, I guess, opening to get in with someone and say, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ? It's like, hey, I want to invite you to our Bring a Friend Sunday. If it's a coworker, if it's a, a neighbor, if it's a family member. That's a great way to start it. Look for opportunities to share the gospel. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Always be ready, the Bible says, to give an answer. Whether that's at work, grocery store, a neighbor, family, even someone you're going to sit with in church maybe this Sunday that's new. Also, instead of, also with look for opportunities, create opportunities to share it. Instead of just looking through there, God, give me something to do, go out and find something to do. Go talk to your friend or your neighbor and tell them you want to share something that changed your life with them. Don't wait for God to place someone in front of you. Go. Here's the thing. And this is where we'll close. I opened with that illustration of if you had a life-changing cure for a friend, you wouldn't hesitate to share it. I'm guilty of not sharing it with people that I know are on their way to hell. I remember I felt so guilty when I was a kid. We were living over here. Our neighbors were a great family. They had three kids. They were unsaved, but they were, they were a very moral family. They were an upright family. They had three kids all our age. And I remember I felt so guilty because I knew what they believed, and I knew it wasn't biblical. And I couldn't have been more than 11 or 12. And I remember pulling the two youngest kids 
He was my age. She was Carib's age. Pulled him into a little camper that we had sitting on the property, and I said, hey, I want to share something with you. And I began to witness to these two people. Here's the thing. As far as I know, they never got saved. But I did what God called me to do at that moment. Recognize this. You are not responsible for results. You are responsible for going. God never said, hey, you need to have this many people saved by the end of this year. You need to do this with your Christian life. No, God just says go. He'll handle the rest. Think of the verse that it says, some planted and some saw the increase. You don't know where you're going to be on that person's growth journey. You might be that person planting. You might be that person watering. And you might be the person who gets to see the harvest. But don't be the person that misses the opportunity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a good night tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the change in weather. Lord, I pray you keep everyone safe tonight as they go home. Thank you for bringing Pastor and Mrs. Monday uh, home safely, Lord. Lord, I pray you be with the prayer requests that are said, the health issues, Lord, the families that are in turmoil, everything going on. I just pray you be with them. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.